This morning, as we open up the conference, we're going to welcome him. I ask you to stand to your feet. Welcome Apostle Todd Smith to come and open up this morning. We love you, Pastor. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, let's continue to give the Lord a hand clap. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You may be seated. What an honor it is to be here this morning with such great men and women. I cannot wait until uh, this afternoon and this second session as Pastor Chad Everett comes and talks to us in a few moments. But yes, and uh, just excited about what God's done. Did you enjoy last night? Come on, did you enjoy Prophet Jeremiah last night? I kind of felt sorry for him under, underneath all those jackets. I knew that he was sweating profusely, <laughs> and I loved every minute of it. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, his presence is in this room. His presence. If this is your first North Georgia Revival Pastors and Leaders Conference, would you stand up? If this is, just stand up. If this is your first one, wow, wow, wow. Wow. Well, I, I've got, you can be seated. I've got some great news for you today. I do. Um, my wife and I have been married 38 years, and we're excited uh, about the next 38. We're nowhere done, listen, near to being done. We are, listen, we're just now hitting second gear. I'm 38, so I just feel like... I got married, and you know, when I was like three months old, but <laughs> thank you, Lord. Father, we love you. We bless you. So excited about what you're going to do today. Lord, I stand in a place of dread in this moment because I know how serious this is. And Lord, my body trembles because of the enormity of the season that we are in. And I thank you, Lord, that I stand in the room of great men and women, not because of their pedigree, but because you chose them. I bless them. And everybody in the house said, Amen. 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 I want you to turn to your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66. I want to encourage you to make sure you go to the product tables, make sure that you get all of the stuff that's here at every table by one of each, if you will. And uh, Donald, I got a little echo up here. If you can eliminate that, I would appreciate it. I may be fine out there, but it's a little disturbing on, on my ears. Um, I want to encourage you to go and get um, this book, Is Church Necessary? Uh, if you're a pastor in this room, you need this resource because I'm about had it with people of how they've treated the church. They take it or can leave it. Jesus died to establish the local New Testament church. Grab that book. Who does not have creating a habitation for God's glory? Raise your hand if you don't have that. Okay, great. Most of you do. 
I want to encourage you to grab that one. And unless we pray, if you do have unless we pray, raise your hand. All right. Wow. Thank you. So there's nobody's going to go buy that. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 66. I want to talk about the eyes of God for just a moment. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, it talks about that the Lord has seven eyes, as well as in Zechariah chapter 3. And I know that may be metaphorically speaking, but I believe that it to be significant. The Bible tells us in Psalm 14, verse 2, that the Lord looks down from heaven on all of mankind. And he wants to know, is there anyone who understands and any who seek him? I want to read that scripture to you again, Psalm 14, verse 12. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who seek him. And who understand him. It's not as common as you might expect. If the Lord is looking for it. It may not be as broad. And as widespread as you think it is. If God is having. To look for it. Everyone that says, I'm a believer, or I'm a lover of God, or I'm an individual that preaches the gospel, does not mean that that individual understands and seeks him. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, for the eyes of the Lord run throughout the entire earth. To show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The last few weeks I've been captivated about the eyes of God. I want to know what God looks for. If he's scanning and looking for something, I want to know what he's looking for. And your Bible says in this particular context in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, where it says, for the eyes of the Lord run, this literally means that the eyes of God are on a high-speed search. Isaiah 66, verse 2. Heaven is my throne. Earth is my footstool. Verse 1, it says, where is the house that you will build me, and where is the place of my rest? For all of those things my hand has made, and all of those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one thing, God narrows it down for us. Not two things, not three things, not five things, not eight things, but he says, on this one thing, I will look. 
If you're an employer and someone who wants to come work for you sits before you at a table and they slide their resume in front of you, as an employer, you're looking for certain qualities and characteristics and job history. You're looking at performance, right? And you already know going into that interview what you're looking for. And who's going to be a great fit for your organization or your company? God is the same way when it comes to the ministry and to the kingdom and revival and an awakening. And he says these words. He says, as you present to me your resume of why I ought to use you and how I ought to bless you how I ought to increase you, how I should expand your ministry. He says, as you slide your resume, your pedigree, your history, your church growth experiences, the books you've written, the songs you've written, he says, all of that is impressive your church, your campuses, your budget, your monies, all of that, but I'm letting you know that's not what I'm looking for. On your resume, he looks for one thing and one thing only. And this is why I'm so excited about this morning and about the sessions and about this conference is because everybody in this room has the potential to have an earth shattering and earth-shaking move of God in your congregation. Because some of us did not grow up in homes where our great-grandfather was a pastor and our grandfather was a pastor and our father has a pastor and your roots go very, very deep and therefore you have a head start in the ministry. Some of us, like myself, have no history of Christianity in your mom and your father. And you're thinking, I was born on the wrong side of the spiritual tracks. I don't have a jump start. I don't have a platform that I can, I'm born into. I don't have these people that I have had relationships with 10, 20, 30, 40 years that my father knew, my mother knew, and, and here I am right now starting from scratch, and I'm in a place where nobody knows where I am. I'm in a church that nobody knows even exists. They have never heard my name. I may have 10 followers on TikTok, and I'm here to tell you I've got great news for you. That when God starts to look for a woman or a man that he can use in this season and in this time, none of those things really matter. I said none of those things really matter. Touch somebody and say, they really do not matter. I'm going to help you today. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be your best friend today. I'm the small church pastor's best friend because I know what it's like where nobody wants to come to your church. 
And when they send out whatever their list is of requirements that you have to meet, I'm thinking, dear God, I don't even have the ability to breathe. And you want me to pick a certain type of ice cube so that when you're in the green room that you won't get triggered because your drink's hot. And you're demanding a certain amount of money and you're wanting to have a certain type of car pick you up from the airport and a certain style of accommodations. You know, I know what it's like when nobody even knows that you exist. I know what it's like when nobody wants to say, hey, can I come speak at your church? I'm just going to tell you today that God's going to breathe in your lungs and the inferior complex that many of us have, the intimidation that comes upon us in meetings like this because we always size one another up, we measure each other, and we always know where we fit in the pecking order. I despise most church growth conferences. I despise most pastoral conferences because we already know where we stand in line. And we have conversations out in the lobby. What size church do you have? What's the size of your budget? How many campuses do you have? And as soon as someone says to you that I only have one campus and I'm only running 25 and you're running 75, you hell, listen, you bow your chest and you say, I'm better than him. I, I'm approved a little bit better than him. Come on, talk to me in this house. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what size church you have in this room. It doesn't matter how many campuses. It doesn't even matter if you're full-time, part-time, no-time. It doesn't matter. God's not looking for anything on that type of a resume that you can impress him. But I've got this kind of news for you. I know what he's looking for. I said I know what he's looking for today. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 1 says, the earth is my footstool. There's no house that you can build for me that's going to impress me. Your resume doesn't impress me one bit. He says, all those things my hand has made, all of those things exist, says the Lord, but on this one thing. I'm going to look and take notice. My eyes will stop scanning the earth when I find a man or a woman who is poor and of a contrite spirit. Someone that has a broken and contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. If you want to be qualified to be used of God in an unprecedented fashion during this time and during this season, it doesn't start with the size of your building and the size of the attenders and how many that you run on Sunday morning. If you want to be used in the end time, I'm telling you, I'm feeling it in my bones right now. God is looking for the man or the woman who is broken and is contrite before him. 
I said the man or woman who humbles himself in such a way that he says, God, I am nothing. I am a man of unclean lips. I am a dwelling in the midst of people that are unclean. But God, I'm coming to you with all honesty. I have nothing to offer you. I have no history. I've made a mess of more things than I can count. But God, I'm here in this final hour to lay my life down upon an altar. And I am going to be nothing, oh God, in front of you. I'm going to be exposed in my complete nakedness. God says, my seven eyes that are running with intensity, searching the whole earth, I will stop if I can find a man or a woman who's broken. I feel in my spirit, I'm in the midst of a group of people today that understand this truth and that are ready to be broken. I feel it with all my heart. David even said in Psalm chapter 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Can you imagine presenting an offering to God that he cannot reject, that he will not refuse, that he will not turn his eyes away? But there's something about a man and a woman that comes to the very end of himself and herself. It says, God, everything that I work for, everything that I've longed for, everything that I have invested in, I am presenting it to you, oh God, as nothing and I come to you as nothing and whatever time I have left whatever days weeks years that I have left I have no agenda I have no demands from you in fact I I'm so unworthy to be even presenting myself to you because I'm unclean in every fashion I know I'm covered with the blood. I know that I'm righteous in his eyes. I'm clothed with righteousness, but God, the reality of my life, I have lustful thoughts. I manipulate people. I work for gain. My heart is irregular. I have bitterness over the betrayals, unforgiveness, and hard feelings. I know that I'm clothed in your righteousness, but God, my lips are not clean. My mind's not clean. And God says, if I can just find a man or a woman that'll be contrite before me, he says, I'll not refuse them. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for brokenness. Revival is simple but not easy. Talk to me. You want a move of God in your church? It starts right here. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. With no hidden agenda, no shot across the bow, no covert operation that if I 
do all these right little things and go through these one, two, three steps of the formula, then God's going to grow my church. No agenda for your church to grow. But to become as utter gooey before God as you possibly can. He says, you want me? He says, you come to me on my terms, under my conditions. And I'm just going to let you know what I'm looking for. So all the preconceived ideas, all the cliches, all the incantations that you're going to bring, all the things that you've heard other people and other speakers talk about, I'm not interested in that, but I want you, if you want me to draw near to you, if you want me to come towards you, you want me to come towards your church, I need you to come toward me under my conditions. Talk to me. Revival is simple. People want to know, Todd, how did this revival begin? Well, it's very simple, but extremely heart. Evan Roberts gave an instruction to Frank Bartleman, who was in America at the time, and Frank was hungry for revival. This is what Evan Roberts said. He says, get all those who are ready for a total surrender in one place daily to cry out for God to visit them. I believe this morning that I am standing in the midst of a group of individuals that are ready to come to the very end of themselves and empty out all of the garbage, to empty out all that junk and say, God, I am not leaving the North Georgia revival until I get a total. Now watch this. I'm not talking about a touch. I'm talking about a total takeover. I don't need a touch from God to get me through a tough season. I need a takeover from the Holy Ghost to change my heart, to change my mind, to change my perspective, to change my preaching, to change the way I lead. That's what I need from this conference this week. But it's going to be one of the most difficult conferences you've ever been in. But I got great news for you. I'm telling you, when you die on these altars and you die in those waters, the Holy Spirit's going to come to you and he's coming with vengeance in his eyes and he's finally saying, finally, they have come to the point of their total demise. Come on, give him glory in this house. I remember, I remember that we called our church to a 21-day fast in, in uh, December of 2017. I announced it to our congregation. Our church was plateaued. We had literally flatlined. I would add 30 people to our congregation and lose 32. We would add 50, and then perhaps we would, we would keep, you know, or our, our, our lose 48. We were, we were plateaued. 140 people in this room. Now imagine 140 people in this sanctuary. I, got, I was the most creative pastor on the planet on how to make 140 people fill this whole room. <laughs> COVID was a blessing. I know all y'all thought it was bad, but it was a blessing to me. Let me tell you how I can tell you it was a blessing. We're two years into the revival, 
Two years into the move of God in Dawsonville and lives were being changed in that water over there. I'm talking about unbelievable, notable miracles. Deaf ears opening up. Psoriasis melting off of people's bodies. We saw everything in two years and then COVID hit. People would ask me and say something, man, I bet your church is exploding. And I'd go, no, not really. Well, he said, then this would be the comment. Well, I thought y'all were in revival. See, that's how we think. Revival brings growth. That's how we think. Uh, and it does to a degree, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But, but watch this. God spoke to me early. And he says, you do not worry about growing your church. He says, your number one responsibility is to host me. Do not host people. He said, host me. And if you host me well, I will take care of the people. There were times that folks would walk into the building and they would be there multiple times and they would hint to me that they're looking for a new church. Now, pastors, your saliva glands begin, right? I mean, you start, your spiritual glands just begin to light. You're just like... Great, this is, this is the hook right here. And God told me early, he said, never invite anyone to be a part of your church. He said, I don't need this to be about your church. He said, I need it to be about me and my kingdom. So for two years, two years, two years, we may have grown 50 people. And yet, the world was coming. I would look out on Sunday morning preaching to an empty sanctuary. But I had an army. Because the Lord said to me back in the day, you heard it on the video, do not build me a church full of attenders. Do not build me an audience but build me an army that I could use. That's when we launched Caneo and we said, God, we're gonna build it. We're gonna focus on, on discipleship and taking care of people and preparing for war. Yes. And in front of me were 150 to 200 people that I would go to hell there and back with a water pistol if I had to. And these 150 to 200 people were all in and decided, you know what? We're not going to make it about Christ Fellowship Church. We're going to make it about your kingdom. We're going to make it about hosting you, God. And when we host you well, your glory is going to fall in the building. Your presence is going to sit down and people are going to come and they're just going to be a part of it. So when COVID hit, my Lord, I had the opportunity to spread chairs out at six feet apart. I rejoiced in my heart <laughs> because prior to that, I would preach, and while I'm preaching, the devil would mock me the whole time. 
Have you ever, pastors, tell me, can you, have you ever talked out of your mouth, I mean, words coming out, but your mind is having a conversation? God is great. Well, he must not be. You're in revival and these chairs are empty. God's moving. He's really not. Because if he was, this building would be full. And so I'm trying to rebuke the devil and encourage and edify my people at the same. I mean, it was like every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, a mockery. Any pastor know what I'm talking about? So, so here's what happened. So when COVID hit, we spread them out everywhere and the building was packed. That's awful. <laughs> but the Lord says, never invite one. Don't invite. Don't work it. He said, host me. And then after two and a half to three years, it shifted. Just like that. I'm here to tell you, pastors, your number one role as a man or woman of God is not to grow your church. Let me set you free from that. Thank you. You're not here to grow your church. God, at no point in the scriptures, gave you that responsibility. Right. Right. He gave, listen, but we, we'll read the books. We will see the, the mega churches with multiple campuses, and you'll get inspired going there. And I'm just telling you, it is, it is not your responsibility. My primary role as a pastor is to host the presence of God in my heart individually, that I stay current and clean with him, and I host him in this sanctuary. My goal is not to attract people, but to attract his presence. And if I get his presence, I need nothing else. Talk to me. I'm not boring you, am I, this morning? Are you all right? I know it's pretty heavy. I know it's early. Go get you a cup of coffee in just a moment. I want you to write this down. It's going to come up on the screen. Revival doesn't come because we ask for it. It comes when we adjust for it. Do you hear me? And God says, my eyes are going to be upon the broken and the contrite. Yes, Lord. Some of you need to let some things go. Some of you need to let those members go. You're hurt. You've been betrayed. They said they'd never leave you, but they walked out on you. You got to let them go. You got to let the elder go that abuses you, manipulates you, tries to control you. You've got to let them go. I want you to become so empty today, so broken, that there's nothing left inside of you. Absolutely 
nothing. I don't know if the lady with the alabaster box gets all of the attention that she deserves. I love her example, but don't be the lady this morning. Be the box. Just be the box. And when you come before him and say, God, I'm just gonna be a box, and inside of me, inside of me is what you're after. And I give you permission to take my heart. I give you permission, oh God, to crack me open. And Lord, as you crack me open, may all this stench and all of these things that I have encapsulated in my heart that I have held on for years, I am willing to release it. And Lord, I want you to take that so that you can dig down to the core of me and find my true inner longing, and that is to know you and to draw near to you. Be the box. I said, be the box. Let the fragrance of your emptiness fill his nostrils, and he will come. He will run towards you. He will point. There. Right there. That smell. That smell. If he can find Dawsonville, Georgia... If he can find this little place, he can find anyone, anywhere. He's just looking. And he's just waiting for the aroma. The more death he smells, the closer he can come. Have you ever smelled Burning flesh, decaying flesh, it's putrid. But multiple times in the Old Testament, it says when they burned a sacrifice on the altar, they interjected that it was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. When Jesus was on the cross, everybody was mortified. Ephesians says that when God saw his son on the cross, it was a sweet-smelling Savor an aroma to the nostrils of God. The more death he smells, the closer he comes. There's no, there's no formula to revival. There's no formula to an awakening, but there is a pathway. And it is a very narrow pathway. I want to be so empty today that I'm useless to the devil. I want to be so dead, so not driven by aspirations and goals and agendas 
and vision. I just want to take some time just to enjoy being dead. Lifeless. Needing nothing. That I'm so at the end of myself that the devil has no use for me. I remember as if it was yesterday, I received this vision of fire on the water on a Thursday. Right about right there. Had no understanding what it meant. I just assumed my new converts were going to have a great time in the water. And you know, we just baptized three times a year. So they were going to have to wait a while. When you run 140, you don't get a lot of people saved. The worst 15 minutes of my week was when I preached and went home in my car. If you were a better leader, your church would grow. If you were a better pastor, your church would increase. If you were more compassionate, if you weren't as extreme, if you wouldn't have said that, they're leaving because this. They're not coming back because you did this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So I'm, I'm on my way home, and I decided I'm done after a Sunday, after the vision of fire on the water. On a Friday afternoon, Karen, you'll remember this, I was in such a dark place. Now, we were fasting for 21 days, 15 days into the fast. I see this vision on the water. But no growth in my church. And I'm on a Friday afternoon in my living room. Karen gets up. We usually have a date on Fridays. She knew I was distraught. She left. You just left. She said, I got to get out of the house because Todd's not in a good way. I'm sitting in my living room in the dark. And I throw up my hands after I saw the vision on the water and I quit. I quit. I said, God, I love these people, but obviously I failed. And somebody else needs to take over. That's Friday. On Tuesday, Pastor Marty, you remember it. I walked into our, meet, our staff meeting and resigned the church. After seeing the fire on the water. Because I had no context for that. I had no theological construct for it. I'm Baptist. I know what baptism's for. <laughs> and it's certainly not what we saw last Sunday night. <laughs> Who would have ever thought? And if you would have told me that then, I would have said, you've lost your mind. We ain't going there. And so I, I come into the staff meeting, and, and Karen's there, staff's there, and I said, guys, I'm resigning as a pastor of the church. I'm going to stay until I find another assignment, but just letting you know I'm done. Karen's right there next to me. Now, if you've not lived with an independent fundamental Baptist person, you have no idea. And, and men, you know that eyes are like a two-edged sword. And she just looked at me like, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Because I didn't even discuss it with her. I said, I quit. I just, I'm done. 
I'm done. And, uh, and she goes, well, you may be quitting, but I'm not. So, I don't know, it was a day later, two days later, Pat Schatzlein calls Pastor Marty, and, um, and Pat Schatzlein said, Pastor Marty, and I never met Pat before in my life, and he said, Pastor Marty, I, I had a dream about your pastor, and he's in a dark room with his hands up, and he's quitting. Pastor Marty, did you hang up on him? You hung up on him. Why did you hang up on him? Huh? You knew it was the Lord, so you, you just hung up on him like, click. So did he call back or did you call him? You called him back. He just hung up on him, and then after he thought about it, he said, I probably need to call him back. I'm back in the conference room. It's a couple days later. I'm just looking at some things, and Pastor Marty says, hey, you need to, you need to listen to this, and Put him on speakerphone, and Pat Schatzlein said, Todd, I don't know you, never met you, but I, I think I had a dream about you last night. You're in a dark room with your hands up, and you're quitting. And God told me to tell you, don't quit. Don't quit. Now, in full transparency, I never, ever, ever doubted that God loved me. But I just didn't think that he knew where I was. I just didn't think that he cared where I was. I knew he loved me, but I'm, I'm like, I've done all I know to do. And our, ch our church has plateaued, so evidently you must not think I'm qualified. But when I got that phone call, I took my resignation and pulled it back, obviously. <laughs> and I walk into the sanctuary. It's dark. It's nobody in the room. And I'm just praying again. And I'm weeping. And I said, God, you do know where I am. I've not eaten now in 18 days. I'm desperate for you. I'll do whatever you ask. I'm completely empty. I hear the voice of God speak to me, and he said to me in my heart, he says, tell your people I'm coming. He said, tell your people I'm coming. On February the 4th, 2018, I stood up in this pulpit and I put up a slide and I said, guys, God spoke to me this past week and he said, tell the people I'm coming. Seven days later, Bishop Lance Johnson, you were here. The glory of God falls in this sanctuary. And we've been in continuous revival since February the 11th in 2018. Let's give him glory. Come on now. I want to encourage you this morning. He sees you. He knows where you are. 
but would you die so well today that he stops and says, I'm coming to you. Let me encourage you to stop performing. Stop trying to jump through the hoops and the loops that your elders and your deacons have set for you. And they have a list of things that they want you to do in order to become a good pastor. The greatest gift that you could give to your local congregation is to be as dead as you possibly can be. And to stay on that level and that plane constantly, consistently, and never, ever come off of that plane. God is looking for complete and total death today. Nothing more. This end time movement that we are in will come through small to mid-sized churches. If you are motivated by building a platform of followers, you're going to soon disqualify yourself for this end time move. Your goal is an attraction of people unto yourself. I understand algorithms. I understand the importance of people hearing your message. Let God grow that organically. Let God do that and bring you before great men. God is saying small to mid-sized churches will be my catalyst for the end time movement. We can make the changes, men and women. We don't have 10,000 people we have to appease. We don't have a $20 million budget. That if we turn the axis just a little bit, a 1,000 people will walk out and $3 million with them. God is saying, my eyes are on the Davids. The number eight, eight of eight, unworthy to sit at the table. No place with conversation with his brothers. Stayed behind during war, not physically fit. But he developed a relationship with God in isolation, in the pasture, with the stench of poop all around him. Nasty sheep. I'm telling you, God is not impressed with big and large. He's looking for the eight of eight. He's looking for those who are not invited to the ministerial council and they're asking for your opinion on what they need to do and what they don't need to do. Nobody's asked your opinion. Nobody's called you for your advice. Hey, watch this. It doesn't matter. Nobody called David. Nobody said, what's our strategy plan for the Philistines? But God was developing him in the backside of the pasture. And he took a ruddy, good-looking, young teenage boy and shifted the history of Israel. God said, he's a man after my own heart. Acts 13, 22 says why. I've always wondered why God said he's a man after my own heart. He's a murderer. He's an adulterer. 
But in the early days of his life, this is what God said. Acts 13, 22. He's a man after my own heart because he will do all I ask him to do. You can find it. He will do everything that I ask him to do without fighting, without worrying about what so-and-so is going to do, who's going to stay, who's not going to stay, who's going to give, who's not going to give. But he says he'll do everything that I ask him to do. Let me tell you what I hear the Spirit of God saying to us this morning. I am looking for the eight of eights. I am looking for the person in the pasture that everybody's overlooked. All he does is tote cheese to the front line. All he does is run errands. He's always the last in line. But God said, I have found me a man who will do everything that I've asked him to do. And in this end time, here's what the Spirit of God is saying to us. It's not a strategy to grow your church, but it's a formula to come and die. And to lay your life down on the altar and say, God, consume everything about me. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All my failures, all my mistakes, all the problems, all the things that are self-inflicted wounds. God, I bring it to you. And if you can take this clump, if you can take this mess, if you can take this hot, destructive body, I'm going to lay it down on the altar. And God, will you consume it with your holy fire and fill it with your Holy Spirit? Stand your feet all across the room. I believe that the Spirit of God is setting us up for something gigantic and enormous. I'm looking for men to die. I'm looking for women to die, to lay it upon the altar, and to say, God, I'll do whatever you ask. Lift your hands, let's begin to cry out to him. The altar's open for you to come if you want to come. You want to lay before the Lord, come lay before the Lord. If there's no room at the altar, come on the platform. Do whatever you got to do. Bodies everywhere if you want to lay before the Lord. Oh God, I need you. I <laughs> 
Oh God, I'm so sorry. Oh God, please have mercy. I love you, Lord. I want to do everything you ask. I pay whatever price, whatever it looks like. God, whatever it looks like. God, oh God, put as much glory on us as we can handle. Oh God. My Lord, oh my Lord, oh my Lord, come on, just a couple more minutes, come on, a couple more minutes, come on, this is where it changes today, this is where it shifts right here. Our prize is not a big church, our prize is not the crowd. Come on, go after the cloud right now. Go after the cloud. God, our prize is you. What is it, prophet or preacher, if he gains the whole community? But exchanges his soul. Oh, God. May I not be known for a big church, God. But Lord, may we be known for having you. Come on, two minutes, that's all, two. Oh, God, have mercy. God, I need you. I need you. Oh God, please. 
God, please. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, you're beautiful. God, you're beautiful. You deserve my all. No pretensions. No demands. Oh, God, my soul. My soul. Ali no ni la la bans ni mo se la le la beda. Ali karaba se la me se puri kasha. Oki mo ki se mago. Ali ni no ni ki jaburi de kasha mama na na na. Ali God deep. God, my deep calls out to your deep. God, my deep calls out to your deep. Ani noni dodi doko botisi, ananda bito kusi biri nakolo. All that I can handle, God. All that my flesh can handle, God. Put on us all the glory that our physical frame can handle, God. Open me up. Uh, oh, God. Hallelujah, Come 
Come on, let's stand to our feet if you can. Oh God. I don't want to be the way I am. I go shila hasibu. I lale kovito hisiluru. Alalala la me no 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 no. Nale lale lure de de kasibu. My God. My God. My God. I can't. God, I can't. I can't. I can't. But all things are possible. All things are possible. All things are possible. Come on, lift your hands and tell Him, God, I'm available. I'll do whatever you ask. Say it. I'll do all your will, God. I'll do it all. I'll do whatever you ask. Whatever you demand of me, I'll do it. Captivate my heart, my eyes, God. There are waves on either side. There are upset members. There are board members that are distraught. But God, I'll do whatever you ask. I'll be so dead, I won't feel anything. I'll be so empty, it won't matter. I look to please you and you only, God. Oh, God, please, please. I look to please you and you only. Oh, God. words say Jesus here I am I'll do whatever you ask bless you Lord thank you Lord okay he's here I don't want to fracture the moment You can make your way back to your seats.
Dios. My Lord. God. I don't want to love my life. I don't want to love death, oh God. Alright, Jesus. Okay. Feel free to stay here for a few more minutes. If you needed to go to the restroom, please go. We're going to start promptly with Pastor Chad Everett in a moment at, at quarter till. That's eight minutes. If you just want to stay in this season, this moment, feel free. If you want to come to the altar, and then I'll introduce Pastor Chad in a few moments. Thank you.